This is The Bible in Depth with PJ. Join us as we take a deeper look into scriptures and study the Word of God together. Now here is Pastor Jim. Well, hello, everybody. We're back for our midweek Bible study. Um, Good to have you with us, whether you're watching it live now on Facebook or you're going to see it on YouTube or wherever you watch it at um, or later on. Uh, Today, uh, we're going to travel down the road of Psalm 53. And I've titled this one, Belief Affects Behavior. And it's a true statement because one of the things we can go back to to find this reality, and we're going to see it in Psalm 53, is where Jesus is in the desert and he's being tempted by the devil. And the, the devil says to him, because, you know, Jesus, if he sins, the whole program's done, it's over. But he tells Jesus, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Jesus says, no, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, why can Jesus turn down that temptation invitation? Because Jesus believed something in the previous chapter, that was Matthew 4. In the previous chapter, chapter 3 at the end, at the baptism, the, the Father uh, speaks from heaven and he says to Jesus, as Jesus comes out of the water, he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So when Satan says, if you are the Son of God, who Jesus knows, well, I am the Son. He says, this is my beloved Son. This is what I know, therefore this is what I believe. And therefore, I'm not going to make a bad decision. I'm not going to venture into sin. You see, belief affects behavior. When you know who you are in Christ and God, you are less likely to make wrong decisions. When you are growing in the Word of God, you're less likely to make wrong decisions. Now, none of us will be perfect till we get to heaven and we see Him as we will know Him as we've been known. But we can make less and less bad decisions because belief affects behavior. You see that everywhere. You see it in school, marriage, dating. You see it in personal life. You see it in countries. You see it everywhere. Now, <clears throat> in Psalm 53, we're going to look at this whole idea of belief affects behavior. You're going to see a sequential aspect of it. In verse 1 of Psalm 53, it says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt and have committed abominable injustice and there is no one who does good now David starts off with some pretty strong words and this is David writing here King he King David as we know him and he says anyone that says there is no God is a fool and that's pretty tough strong words now the word fool it means wicked it means to fall away and it just means to fade away Now, this whole idea of is there a God or isn't there a God, this battle has been raging for a couple centuries at least. Because the atheist says there is no God. They say naturalism and everything you see, that's all there is. Now, let me just, um, this is not what my Bible study is about today, but I need to make a few statements, okay, that I I like to keep referring uh, so that you kind of get this idea in your head, different ideas, different truths. First off, if anyone ever tells you there is no God, Don't try to prove it to them. Have them prove to you that there is no God. Say, okay, prove it to me. Now, here's what you watch for. They're going to give you a lot of emotional stories of, oh, if God had been there, if there was a God, this wouldn't have happened. They're going to go down that road. That's Don't go into the emotional stories. Say, wait a minute, give me evidence that there's no God that's created everything that we see here. 
Give me that kind of evidence. Because they, they cannot give you evidence that there is no God. <clears throat> now, this Bible study, like I said, is not designed to speak toward the existence or non-existence of God. We assume as Christians, we believe strongly that there is God and there's a designer behind the whole design. But I will say this one thing, and I've said it before, that <clears throat> when it comes to God, God versus no God, if we, you and I, are created by this universe, which is a mindless, unguided universe, we're created through random processes, how is it that you and I know that it exists, but this universe doesn't even know that you and I exist, if it's our creator? Get around that one right there. Now, <clears throat> with that said, I want to move on into the study. <clears throat> we're going to look at, in, in Psalm 53, how... Uh, a lack of belief in God sends us little by little over a moral cliff until we just crash, okay? So here we go. The first thing I want to say is this. A lack of belief in God destroys morals. I'm going to go back to Psalm 53.1. It says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have committed abominable injustice. <clears throat> there is no one who does good. Hmm. So we see that a lack of belief in God sends people down this, this moral cliff. See, here's what David is saying. <clears throat> Once I throw away God, I therefore throw away the moral lawgiver God. Once I throw away the moral lawgiver God, then I throw away God's morals. And once I throw that away, now I can reinterpret everything that has been foundational to our lives in America for over 200 years. Everything that a, a good, strong, sustaining, moral society is built on will be reinterpreted and, um, because it started off with get rid of God. Now, in my lifetime, and I'm older now, it's not a hidden fact, but I've, I've been watching decade after decade as we've been slowly dismantling little by little the morality in our American society and culture. It concerns me. Concerns me very much. See, Isaiah said this. He said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now, notice he starts off with woe. <clears throat> he says woe to the people that toss out God, the lawgiver, his moral values. Woe to those who make up their own morality and call the values of God now evil. And we see that today. It's a crazy way that some people, not everybody, that some people think. A woe in Scripture, friends, <laughs> is, is a curse. It's exactly what it is. And so as we dismantle God's morals and get rid of the moral lawgiver, we're, we, people don't realize they begin to walk under a curse. Now, <clears throat> I firmly believe what I'm going to say next uh, because I see it in Scripture and you see it in history. When a country, individual too, but when a country's, or I should say a country's continued existence 
is directly related to its morality. See, as we toss God's morals aside and evil reigns as good when it is not, that country, that person, they're now living in woe time, in curse time. And it's just a matter of time as they skid down that moral cliff. Now, the, you know one of my biggest, I'll show you one of my biggest concerns. And that in Revelation 18, and we're not going to turn there, in, during the tribulation period, it talks about this, na- I, I believe it's a nation, there's a lot of speculation on it, but it talks about this nation that was so economically powerful at that time. And it goes down economically in one hour. And all the world that, that would sell this nation its goods, they all cry and mourn and the ships stay out at sea because they can't bring in their cargo to this nation because the nation's bankrupt. What terrifies me is that that could be America. Now, I can't say it is and I can't say it isn't. But it sure sounds a lot like us. And it sure sounds the way we're skidding right now. So it gives me great concern. Now, enough said on that. Now, in verse 1, David ended verse 1 with, There is no one who does good. In other words, when we demote God, we promote ourselves as the lawgiver, and we decide what is right and wrong. Paul, in the New Testament, in Romans 3, verse 12, he quotes this, that there is none who does good. Now, let me give you a sidebar on that. Nobody does enough good. No one does good. Uh, Too many people's idea of getting to heaven or getting to an afterlife is, I just believe you need to be a good person. That's a dangerous statement, friends. Because just like I asked two people that came to my door one time who believed that you just do enough good works, you're going to make it to what their thought of afterlife was. I asked them, I said, well, how good is good enough. Where's the line? When I've done enough good, where's the line where I know I can finally be secure, I've done enough goodness that I'm going to make it to my, to, to heaven? They couldn't answer it. You know why? Because no one can answer it. <laughs> you know why? Because none of us can ever be good enough to get to heaven. None of us. And that's why Jesus had to come down to us. Because he's the only one good. When the rich young ruler says, good teacher, Jesus says, why do you call me good? Because, see, in their mindset, the only good person was God. See, only God is good. And he had to come down and take our place on that cross and carry our sins. Because you know what? We can never be good enough. And we can debate and argue how good is good enough to the end, but you'll never have an answer to that question. So, point two today is this. No matter how man elevates himself, He's still below God, no matter how far. Now, verse 2 of Psalm 53 says this. God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who understands, who seeks after God. Isn't that something? God looks down. Question for you. What does this remind you of? Anywhere in the Bible, can you remember something like that where God looked down, God came down? And the answer is, for some of you already know this probably, the Tower of Babel. Now, I want to turn to Genesis 11, just to kind of show you, for those, some of them may be newer to the Bible. Genesis 11, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 about the Tower of Babel, about God coming down. 
<clears throat> and Genesis 11 uh, says this. Now the whole world used the same language and the same words. Now this is in the, you know, still back when everybody spoke the same language. God wanted them to fill the earth and spread out. They're not going to do that. They're going to be disobedient. But <clears throat> if you think about it, we have a new Tower of Babel. We have all these people on social media, these bloggers and different people on there trying to get people to speak the same language that there is no God, there's no such thing as God, there's no such thing as morality, whatever's right for you is okay if that's what you think. There's a whole new Tower of Babel where they're trying to get the world to speak the same language. And you know it's true. You know it's true. And they're trying to dismantle this Word of God and they're trying to take away God out of our society. There's a new Tower of Babel. Now, verse 2. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. That's the area of Babylon. <clears throat> verse 3. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. Because they're going to build a tower. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. It's Middle East. There's all kinds of petroleum products here. They got the tar there. And by the way, it's an interesting thing. I'll give you a side note on that. More than likely, what they built was some kind of pyramid-type structure. You know why I think that is true? Because when, the, when uh, he spread everybody out, they scattered the whole world. Why do you find pyramid-type structures all over the world? Why do they have the same kind of architectural thinking in ancient times? Well, because they came from here. It's a free one. Now, verse 4. They said, here's what they're telling each other. Come, let us build for ourselves a city. In other words, we're not spreading out like God said. And a tower whose top will reach into heaven. We can reach God. And let us make for ourselves a name. Now, that's a dangerous thing right there, too. Because as Jesus said, we're to pray, hallowed be thy name, not our name. And if you go one chapter later in Genesis, God says, I'll make your name great. Now, you have an option. You can try to make your name great, or you can do all the right things and follow God and His purposes and let God make your name great. Now, which one you want? It's up to you. They want to make their own name great. Otherwise, we'll be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, verse 5, it says, As they're building this tower to reach to heaven, it's high up, you know, for, for them. It says, The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. So no matter how high, no matter how much they built to try to reach God, God had to come down. <laughs> he had to come down. It's just a picture of Jesus having come down to save us because we're not good enough to reach Him. Now, back to um, Psalm 53. The third thing I want to say is the rejection of God is the reason for a corrupt society. I just want to read the verse, hit it, and then move to a fourth statement. It says, every one of them has turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. So as you see this systematic turning away from the moral lawgiver God and moral law and reinterpreting, deciding that we know what is right versus God, and now we call evil good and good evil, it says that every one of them, so now we see a society that's corrupted. It's all over the place. Now, the fourth thing I want to say is, without moral guideposts, people look at people as things to consume. 
Look at verse 4. It's a natural conclusion. It's a natural progression. Have the workers of wickedness no knowledge? Who eat up my people as though they ate bread and have not called upon God? Well, that's a pretty interesting statement. But it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? How so, Jim? Well, like this. If I eliminate God, there's no God. You know, and he said, the fool has said there's no God. But eliminate God, I eliminate the moral lawgiver. If I eliminate the moral lawgiver, then the moral laws built on that, they're open to reinterpretation of whatever anybody thinks. Once we get to that point, we're in dangerous ground because with no God, now therefore, no one therefore has been created in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, when I look at humans, I don't have to give them honor or dignity. I don't have to do any of those things because we're just created by a mindless, unguided universe. And so therefore, I can look at people as just stuff, things that I can use. They, you know, they eat up my people as though they ate bread. I can just consume them. I can take what they want. You find this everywhere. It's all over the place. That's why it never shocks any of us anymore, the corruption in any place. Because everybody is trying to use everybody else, it seems like, for themselves. And it's a very dangerous thing to be. It's like you, you find it in families, businesses, you find it in countries, you find it in dating, you find it in marriage. It's very, very difficult. Now, <clears throat> when, or I should say, without God as my moral lawgiver, guess who becomes the center of the universe? Me, you. That's a dangerous place. And now everyone exists for my pleasure. Oh. Have you ever thought this? <clears throat> that many people today, and there are many people today that do this, they make their moral decisions based on, will this give me pleasure and satisfy me? Or will this just frustrate me? See, there's no foundation or platform of a moral guidepost. It's just like, will it give me pleasure? Will it frustrate me? And that's what they build their whole moral decision based on. And that's why they consume, everybody like to consume bread. It's just what it is. But if I put my faith in Jesus, and I declare that God is God, God exists, I will look at every person on this planet, created in the image and likeness of God, who, who, who have value and dignity and when I do that, guess what? I don't look to consume them. I'll look to be a servant to help them. What a better way to live, huh? Now, let me give you a whole new thought in verse 4. Because it almost sounds as you're reading all this that, you know, we're in big trouble. It looks like the workers of evil are winning, huh? They're not. They're not. It looks like the workers of evil have the upper hand. They don't. Because don't forget in the middle of all of this, it says God looks down. See, God sits on the throne of the universe. And sometimes we forget that. You know, I think, here's why I think we forget it. Sometimes we believe all the commentators out there instead of God's word. That's a dangerous place to live. Sometimes we get so caught up in what we see instead of what God says. God looks down. God looks at, do you remember in these verses what God looked down, what he came looking for? To 
to see if there's anyone to see if anyone is seeking him. Hmm. See, seek God more than you see all the immorality around you. Seek God. God looks down. Now, because like I said earlier, I'm older. <laughs> Uh, and things have been a little crazy for in America for a while now, uh, more than just last year. But if you're around my age or older, you've lived through some crazy times already in America. You've seen some crazy things. Now, during these times, especially now, I hear people get all wound up. And, and especially for believers, I don't hear peace or joy in their lives or they're just on the, on the edge of trepidation. No. Moses <coughs> sends out 12 spies to spot the land. When they come back, 10 of the spies, they're shaking in their boots. They go, it's a good land, but you know what? We can't take it. There's giants there. And they're afraid. They're, they have no peace. But Caleb and Joshua, the two spies, they say, whoa, 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 whoa. God has said it's ours. By all means, we should take this thing. Let's take it. God said it. What, what's going on here? I can sum it all up in one statement. What is written is better than what's reported. So there's all kinds of reports and people saying this and that, and I try to stay away from it because I am not going to let them take my mind. What is written is better than what's reported. It was true then. It was true today. Now, let's finish off by looking at David's confidence. Now, Psalm uh, 53, 5 and 6, watch this. He says, for they were in great fear, where no fear had been. This is what God is doing to the enemies now. For God scattered the bones of him who encamped against you. You put them to shame because God had rejected them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores his captive people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. What does David know? He knows that in the long run, the workers of sin never win. They never win. And whether that's in our lifetime or in the day of judgment, they just don't win. But he also knows that deliverance is coming. Therefore, rejoice. Rejoice. Well, we're going to pause right there now. We're going to end in Psalm 53. And we're going to join you next time in Psalm 54. So we'll see you. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions or need prayer, please send us an email to hello at nbcc.com. We'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and take a second to rate it. Until then, we'll see you next time.